0: There's a, uh, a story about the, uh, the great boxer Muhammad Ali. He was on a flight uh, to go to his next boxing match, and uh, the plane hits some turbulence. So the uh, pilot puts on the fastened seatbelt uh, sign up, and the light comes on, and the flight attendant begins to walk down the aisles to make sure everyone has their seatbelts on. She comes to Muhammad Ali, and he looks at her and says, I'm not putting mine on. He shakes his head, and he says, Superman don't need no seatbelt." But the flight attendant looks back at him, you know, square in the eye, and she says, yeah, but Superman don't need no plane either. (laughs) Pride is a problem. Pride is the overestimation of ourselves, the downplaying of the importance of other people, and it brings out ugliness. Pride takes our eyes off of God. It takes our eyes off of loving people, and we actually end up judging people, and division and strife and tension always comes from pride. And pride is not just an issue in our world, though it is. Unfortunately, it's often an issue with Christians and in churches. And that's what our text today is fundamentally about, the problem of pride. If you have a Bible, please open up to the end of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. We'll be in 1 Corinthians three eighteen to chapter 421. It's on page 953 of those pew Bibles. Now, normally I would have a stand and we would read the Word of God, but today um, we're going to look at each paragraph as we go along. So your your legs and your knees have a week off, but bring them next week and we'll stand back up, okay? So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 to 421, but we are going to begin like we normally do with a word of prayer. Father, we, uh, we trust you to do with your word, which you always do with it. It never returns void. It always accomplishes. Spirit, help us. Amen. So we're going to be looking at over a chapter of, of text, which is quite, quite a bit. Um, it's a it's a big argument at times. It's layered and maybe it's deep and it's complicated. But overall, what Paul is doing here is calling out the pride and the arrogance of the Corinthian church, and he's calling them directly, very directly, to give it up for the sake of Christ and the sake of the health of their church. So I want to give you the main point of the passage, which is the main point of the sermon, and here it is: It's Christian and CVBC, slay your pride. There is no place for it in Christianity or in the church. Kill, slay, remove your pride, for there is no place for pride in the church or in Christianity. Our text kind of has five paragraphs, um, and the first four of the five paragraphs show and reveal the ugliness and the consequences of pride. So we're going to go through each one of those paragraphs in four points and see how bad pride is if we don't know already. And then the fifth one is kind of Paul's charge of how to give up that pride and to look to something more beautiful. So I want us to use this text to evaluate ourselves. It's like going to your yearly um, checkup at your doctor. You might feel completely healthy. You have no concerns. But he or she's going to ask you questions, get results, ask you the right things. And maybe there is something that you've not picked up on. We get pretty used to feeling how we feel. Things become normalized in us. That's even true spiritually. We may not even see the dangerous thing that's going on in our heart until we come to the checkup of Scripture. So let's view this passage as a checkup to attack the pride that's within. So we're going to begin with four problems with pride. The first problem with pride is that pride is settling for lesser things. I'll explain this in a second. But when we give in to pride, we are settling for something less than Christ. Settling. Look at chapter 3, 18 to 23. Paul's writing, he says, "'Let no one deceive himself. "'If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, "'let him become a fool that he may become wise. "'For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, "'for it is written, "'he catches the wise in their craftiness.'" And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. Why? Because, for, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Paul begins by saying to this church, hey, you guys are deceiving yourselves. You believe you are wise and mature, but in reality, your evidences are that you are foolish. Pride is deceptive. Pride always makes us feel like we are right, that we are mature, that we have arrived at a certain mature level, and yet all it's doing is deceiving ourselves. Pride is proof that we are not right. And Paul here describes that God, who is wise, who is right, looks down at these Corinthians and he finds them as foolish. Paul is begging the church here to stop thinking they are wise and begin to think that they are giving into man-made wisdom, which is actually foolishness. So this church has believed, as we've seen over a couple chapters, that they have spiritually arrived. They have reached a standard and they are good to go. And Paul says, no way. They have found their maturity, not in Jesus, but in their own abilities in their own talents, not Jesus, in their own knowledge that they have, not Jesus, in their own pastors and not Jesus. All right, this church is located in a city and a culture that loves speeches and it loves philosophy and it loves knowledge. It loves following men. So to them, a wise man is one who's educated well. A wise man is one who can speak with great rhetoric and eloquence and that began to infiltrate the church and the church began to look more like the world so some of them in the church began to compare their favorite christian pastors paul and apollos and they began to think one of them is a wiser leader or a more competent speaker and they assumed if i follow paul or i follow apollos i am good to go spiritually they have the best speaker so they're good to go. They have the best leader, so they are the best church. They have advanced knowledge of something, so we are arriving as Christians because we have Apollos with us. We are good to go. As long as I'm in line with him, I'm fine. Hey, because Paul planted our church, we're good to go. Paul sees this as lo- this logic as foolishness and wisdom. A church that finds their salvation in something like their leader's, is wrong. Paul in verse 21 says, do not boast in man. Don't rally your faith. Don't rally your identity around a man, around a leader. And then what's the rest of verse 21 says? For all things are yours. What's the reason for us to not boast in man? Why not boast like, hey, we are mature because we have Apollos or we have Paul. Hey, we are a Mature church, because we have all these programs. We're good to go. No, why? Because that's settling for something less than. Paul says, all things are yours. Paul says to the Corinthian church, you guys have everything in Christ. Not just Paul, not just Apollos, but all things are yours in Christ. And then Paul mentions a bunch of things here in verse 22. Gifts that God has given to churches. He says, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, the world, life, death, present, and future. That's a pretty comprehensive list. Paul says to the church, do not settle. Yes, God has given you Paul. He's given you Apollos, and they are gifts, and they are blessings. But that man, that leader, is not what you hang your spiritual hat on. God has given you everything, everything for your spiritual maturity and your enjoyment of God. Yes, your leaders. Yes, your present circumstances. Yes, your future circumstances. Even things like death come from God for our benefit, which is crazy. Jesus is in everything that happens to us. So don't settle and think, because I have Paul, I can kind of coast and think I'm good to go. No, you have Everything in Jesus. And verse 23 says, We have Christ, and Christ is God's. So that means that you have God who's created everything, who's in everything. You have Him. So why would we settle and say, Because I have Paul, I'm good to no, go? No, no. You have everything in Jesus. Paul says, You guys are just kind of settling and using just a little fraction of what God has given to you. Yes, you have Paul and Apollos, but Jesus has given all things to you. Every member of your congregation, every present circumstance, every trial, every blessing, every moment of suffering and pain, and every delight you have is from Jesus and for Jesus. Life and death and everything in this world, Jesus has given to you to mature you and to bring glory to God. So why settle for just a sliver? Pride says, I'm good, I have Paul. I'm good, I'm a church member. I'm good, I'm involved in this one thing. I can settle there. Paul says, no, you're missing out. Right, imagine you go to a buffet today. There's a hundred options of food. You pay the price, you grab your plate, and you only grab a spoonful of peas. Just a spoonful of peas. You pass the potatoes, you pass the steak, you even pass the dessert and you sit down, and your family should say to you, what is wrong with you? <laughs> we paid for you to have a full meal. Why are you settling for peas? All of these other things are here for you to enjoy and to fill you up and to nourish you. This is what Corinth was doing. They were so blind to it. They believed, because I had my peas, because I have Paul or I have Apollos, I'm good to go, and what happens to them? They deceive themselves thinking they are full and mature, but in reality, they are malnourished. They were settling for just peas. Peas are good, but peas are a fraction of your diet. Now, you may not feel at CBBC attached to a leader and finding your identity in a leader. That's good. But where in your spiritual life do you assume that maybe you are just good to go? Like, if you ever feel that there's a sense of spiritual pride there, you might might assume, hey, God knows I've been good lately. I've been really good. So maybe I'm not going to pray today, or I'm not going to read my Bible. It's getting up early. God knows me. He knows my heart. I'm doing pretty good. If that's us, I think we're acting a bit like Corinth, that we've reached a certain level that our spiritual disciplines become ineffective for us. They're unnecessary because I have arrived somewhere. Or maybe you think, I, I don't really need to get to know people at church. I, I don't need the friendship or the accountability. Because those are fine, but I, I have my podcasts. I come on Sundays. Heck, every two months I'm rocking a baby in nursery. And those things are good. That's settling, though. Podcasts are good. Sermons are good. Rocking babies in nursery is good but you're actually starving yourself from part of the diet that God has given to you, like friendship and accountability. Pride makes us settle for something. We get one little sliver and we think we're good to go, but we're missing out on the joys and the delights that happen in a church. Every person here, every circumstance you are enduring in our life, even hard ones like death, Every joy in our life, these are from God for us and our good, and pride will deceive us and tempt us to think that we are farther along when we're actually missing out on the riches of Jesus. So, friends, there's a spiritual buffet of benefits and delights in Christ, but pride's gonna cause us to take peace. It's a problem with pride. The second problem with pride, is that pride is an attempt to dethrone God. This is scary. Pride is an attempt to dethrone God. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. If you're in your pew Bibles, note we are moving into page 954. That's progress. Chapter 4. This is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, It's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord." Paul continues to highlight the pride here in Corinth. As we already mentioned for several sermons, Corinth became so attached to its leaders, especially Paul and Apollos, and they began to compare and contrast these leaders, and the church became divided between these two. One group assumed, I follow Paul, so we're better than team Apollos, and vice versa. And if you read all of the verses in the New Testament, and you kind of put a picture up of Paul and a picture up of Apollos, and you look at church history, you're going to realize that these two men Very faithful, but they were different. Uh, Apollos is known as one of the most eloquent speakers in the first century. He could dazzle a room with just his words. He had probably great illustrations. He had probably great logic. He was an eloquent speaker, good communication. Paul didn't have that ability. He could preach, he could teach, but what was he mostly known for theologically? He was known for being very direct and bold and astute with his doctrine. He could teach and explain doctrine so well to people, and he was very precise. So here I'm picturing in in, in church, you have some people saying, we are good to go. We have Apollos. He is better than Paul. He can preach so eloquently. Others over here saying, yeah, but Apollos is not as theological as Paul. Paul is the way to go. And this division kind of happens, and they begin to judge each other. They judge Paul. They judge Apollos. And Paul, very boldly here, says in, in, in the first couple of verses here of chapter 4, why are you judging God's servants for doing what God called them to do? He says, what have we done wrong? I can't think. He's, he's evaluating himself. Where have I gone wrong? Because if Paul and Apollos were embezzling church money, right, or they were found drunk at the local bar, they should be judged according to the New Testament. There'd be church discipline, and that's right. But here they're being judged for not being as good of a speaker as someone else. They're being judged for personality, for callings from God. They're being judged by a church based on the worldly standards of success. Paul, you are less than because you're not good enough speaker. Or Paulist, you're not as good because you don't teach the theology like Paul does. So Corinth believes that they have the right To judge faithful servants called by God. In a few hours, some of you are going to be sitting on your recliner, yelling at the television. You will be claiming that you can call a better game plan than the coach that they keep zooming in on. And I just want to note something, that you are in your recliner, and they are actually on the field. Paul says, when we begin to judge people and their identity and their hearts, we are trying to kick God off his throne and assume that we would do better than God. By pridefully judging others, We try to become God and take God's role as judge. Paul says their job as apostles and pastors here are to be stewards and servants of the gospel. They don't invent new things. No, they just bring and deliver the already finished gospel. That's their job. And they're not doing anything wrong on the side morally, they're not leading wrongly. They're doing a faithful job. And yet the church is saying, I like Paul, Apollos is not good. Or I like Apollos, Paul's not good. And they're trying to put stakes of identity right in the hearts of. Paul and Apollos and say, you are less than. They're trying to dethrone God. When we look around at others and we judge them as less than, we are trying to dethrone God. We're trying to take the place that only God should have. God is the judge. God is the one, as it says in verse five, will bring to light all that's hidden in man's heart. I don't know what's in your heart. You don't know what's in mine. If I am acting improperly, if I'm acting immorally, you have a calling to me as a brother and sister to call me out on my sin. But if this is not a sin issue, is it our role to judge someone? It's not. It's God's. So let God be God. Do you ever catch yourself? Honestly, I mean, be honest with yourself. God knows your heart anyway, right? So it's kind of scary. But do you ever catch yourself judging someone, and you know it's wrong to do it? Like, you have no basis for it. Maybe it happens in the church, and you just don't really like their personality, and you just judge them. Maybe even in worship, like, there's someone more or less animated than us when we sing or pray, and we kind of judge their heart. We judge people based on life um, responses, right? How are you going to Uh, educate your children? How do you react to things like COVID? And we assume people are not as wise as we are, and we judge them and put them in this camp in our head. We assume that we always have the best way, and all other ways are weaker or less, and we judge their identity. From now on, we see through the filter of we are better than them, we know better, we act better. If this kind of prideful judgment seeps into us, what we are trying to do spiritually is to scooch God off the throne and say, God, I know better than you. Let me judge. Paul reminds us when, pre, when pride seeps in and causes us to improperly judge others, we have a low view of God. Pride is a problem. There's two more reasons why pride is a problem. Let's keep going. The third is that pride sets us against one another. Pride creates relational problems. I could just say self-explanatory and move on, but Paul goes into this in two verses. Look at verse 6. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Pride is automatically by nature a selfish sin. It automatically creates a distance and division between us and others. Paul points out in verse 6 that pride has caused this church to be puffed up in favor of one against another. One group chose Paul, one chose Apollos. They created division, strife, a spiritual war, and this separated the body of Christ. And this church is called to unity, to gather together in harmony and in love, to lift up the name of Jesus. And you cannot honestly and authentically and faithfully do this unless you are unified. And you can't do this if there is pride. If you look at verse 6... I think there's a great definition of pride here, or at least an example of pride. Paul says the church went wrong when they went beyond what was written. Do you see that phrase? Went beyond what was written. What does that mean? That means the church began to find their identity and evaluate other people on things beyond the Bible, beyond what was written. They began to split and divide over preachers and personalities and skills. They weren't dividing over beliefs about Jesus They weren't dividing over clear biblical moral issues. They were dividing over things that are above the line of Scripture, preferential stuff. When we expect things from people that the Bible does not expect from people, that's called pride. When we are thinking that our position, or our posture, or our preference on something that the Bible doesn't declare as essential, then we are letting pride divide us, and pride automatically sets us against each other. Paul reminds the church that there is no place for this price. He says, how can you be puffed up in favor against others in your same church? Have you all not received the same Jesus? Did you earn Jesus? No, you received him. So why boast? Also, those pastors you got are from God. How can you say that you earned them? Why would you go against what God has given you? How can you all look at your skills or your abilities and be boastful of them? They're all from God. So why even be prideful in the first place? One of the biggest reasons for us to not let pride ever ruin us is that pride will automatically, by nature, make us not like one another. It sets us against each other. When we begin to elevate ourselves, especially in a local church, we have completely lost sight of Jesus and grace. Everything that you and I have, from our salvation to the very breath in our lungs right now, comes as a gift from God. So how can we begin to pridefully judge someone when everything that we already have is already a gift anyway? And pride, you know what pride wants to do? Pride wants to ruin this church. If you could interview pride, that's its goal, to divide this church, to create bitterness and sides and arguments, to tear out love and tear out mercy and delight in each other. Pride distances us. It does, and it It's the opposite of what the church is supposed to do. The church is supposed to grow more intimate and closer together in Christ to bear each other's burdens, to rejoice with each other's successes, to befriend each other. But what does pride do? Pride makes those things into bitterness. Pride settles in when we can't celebrate someone else's joy. Pride is seeped in when we can't mourn or weep with someone who's hurting. Pride pushes people away and that is not the way of Christ or the church. Pride is dangerous. What is there in you that might cause you to distance yourself from someone else in the church? Is there someone you see and you're okay if you never go beyond a wave with them? Like is there someone that you are predisposed that feels like to not like? Like? Let's be be honest and let's be human. We, We have people in our lives that we just don't like. For some, maybe there's a legitimate real hurt and trauma with someone, and maybe it is wise to stay away from that person. I understand that. But I would imagine that some of us have people in our lives that we just avoid, and even internally we are gossiping against or we're negative against. And if we look at the fundamental reason, they're probably pretty petty reasons like their personality rubs me the wrong way. Or they annoy me, or they have a different view of this one thing and I can't get past it. And the real fundamental reason why we can't like that person is pride. We expect them to be like us, or at least we expect them to not be like them. Pride prevents us from loving others And letting others love us. There's a cost to pride. You are withholding your love for someone. And you actually are withholding yourself from being loved by someone. Who God has called to love you. Pride causes us to puff up against each other. And yet the way of Christ is to lean more into relationships than to lean away. Pride is dangerous. The fourth reason, the fourth problem with pride, is that pride promotes worldly values. Pride is the way of the world. Look at verses 8 to 13. Paul speaks here with biblical sarcasm and exaggeration, okay? There's a difference between biblical sarcasm and a lot of our sarcasm. Paul reveals how prideful and arrogant and worldly this church has become. And he does this by contrasting his own life with theirs. Now, there's some exaggeration here, but overall, Paul is showing that the church has become so prideful that it's adopted the values of the world. They've become so about themselves, which is what pride is, and they have adopted the norms of the culture. I'm not going to walk through each phrase of this, though each one is powerful, but Paul is showing that as he has pursued Christ. He's ended up what? Weak. He has been rejected by people and cities. He's been hungry and poor and thirsty. He's been homeless. He had to work his tail off as a tent maker to provide for his own needs. He's been persecuted and slandered. As Paul has followed Christ, in his life, he's lived a physically hard life. And he summarizes in verse 13 by saying, according to the world, Paul looks like the scum of the earth, a nobody. And yet when Paul looks at the church that he founded, the church looks quite the opposite. He summarizes them in verse 8 by calling them kings. They live like kings. They have honor in society. They are strong and full of health. They seem to have food and a house and have nice looking clothes. They seem to be doing really well and they are comfortable. Now, Paul is not saying, don't read this, Paul is not saying that if you're healthy, you're not a Christian. He's not saying that you as a Christian should become homeless or you can't have nice things or that you should seek out persecution. He's not saying that. He's summarizing his real life. But what he is saying is that the church at Corinth prefers the worldly values more than Christ. They, in their pride, have chosen to live comfortably like the world than live sacrificially like Christ and Paul. Pride says we deserve to rule and live like a king or a queen. That we don't have to sacrifice our well-earned money for others. It's my money. I worked for it. That we don't have to lay our life down on the line for the gospel because I have responsibilities I have to take care of. I have a good life, why would I mess that up? Pride tells us to let the world's values and the ideas of a good life trump the values and the ideas of Christ. Paul chose the way of Christ even if it cost him everything in the world's eyes. Even if he ends up looking like scum of the earth. Corinth took the world. They left Jesus at the door, right? They took the Sinatra route, right? They did it their way. That is pride, and this seeps into us as Christians in many ways. Pride wins when we shrink back from evangelism because the fear of man rises up in us. We fear losing the approval of a friend by bringing up the church of Jesus. We let pride get the best of us. We choose comfort over Christ. My comfort, my control of this situation, relationship matters more than making Jesus known. Pride wins when we when we hoard our money and our time and we don't give it to Jesus and we don't give it to Jesus' people. I need my money for my own good stuff, right? And it's all good stuff, right? I'm paying rent and mortgage, right? I'm paying the grocery bills. Kids have school fees and they need new clothes. I need all this stuff. But when we choose not to give our money to those in need, and we choose not to give money to the church as God has called us to because it's uncomfortable It causes us to redo our budget, and that's a lot of work. The worldly value wins. The pride of it's my money, I worked hard for it, I get to choose where it goes wins. Or time, I mean, we think I'm so busy with work and my tasks and this and that, I'm running around from place to place, I don't have time to meet with that person. I don't have time to come on Wednesday nights and serve with those kids in ministry. I can't join a small group. I can barely get to work on time. Time is important. Work is important. Kids' school is important. Time management is great. But time is also a gift you have received from God, and are we using it for His glory and His people? Don't let the pride of thinking, I'm my own boss and I get to make Out my time how I want to. That is pride. Your time is for others, others to be encouraged by you. So go meet with that person. Kids to be served by you for the sake of the gospel. Friends to be comforted by you by giving them an hour of your time. Pride tells us that the world's values of individuality and selfishness matter more than Christ. And that is dangerous and a problem. Corinth chose prestige and comfort, they chose pride, but thankfully, finally, we've got here, there's a better way than pride. There's the way of Christ. There is a remedy, a medicine for pride and for arrogance. And the remedy for pride is to return to the ways of Christ. Return to the ways of Christ. We see this in the last paragraph, starting in verse 14 of chapter 4. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That's why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ As I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love in a spirit of gentleness? He finishes this with a, a strong pastoral tone. He's bold and yet loving. He's forceful and yet compassionate. He views this church that he founded and started as his spiritual children. And so as a good, loving father does, he disciplines them, rebukes them, corrects them, guides them. He calls them to slay their pride. And he reminds them of his authority. And he says, hey, I sent Timothy to you to do one of the most important fundamental things, to remind you of Jesus I sent Timothy to correct you. And by the way, I'm coming again soon. So get your church in order. This is not the point here, but all of us need a spiritual father or mother, or many of them. We do. Real life mothers and fathers, not people on podcasts which are important. You need people in your real life who are pouring into you. Pride will tell us, It's not worth it. I'm good. Humility is saying, I need other Christians. And they're all around here in this church. And Paul sent Timothy, and Paul is coming himself with one goal in verse 17. To remind the church of my ways in Christ. The ways of Christ. What are the ways of Christ that Corinth needs to return to? We'll look at the most quoted verse of our sermon series so far. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. Paul writes, And I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or eloquent wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the point. Friends, when we sense pride in our lives, we need to return to the cross of Jesus, to the gospel, to slaying our pride and following Christ on his path. This church in Corinth has forgotten that the way to salvation, the way to maturity, the way to looking more like Christ is not skills or riches or what we do in morality or who we follow. No, the pathway to Jesus is the cross. They have pridefully believed that their church their salvation, their maturity rests in something besides Jesus. So they need to go back to the cross. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to grow as a Christian, the fundamental way you grow is by going deeper into the cross. We never move on from the cross. We go to the cross where Jesus, not in pride, but in humility laid down his life, where he gave up the riches of heaven and the comfort of a pain-free existence to suffer and die for prideful people like us. He was crucified, he was killed, he took our pride and our sin and the punishment of God's wrath that we deserved. He laid down his life, not allowing pride to conquer him or pride to conquer us, and he suffered as our substitute as a sacrifice, and death did not hold him down. Pride could not keep him down, but resurrection happens, conquering sin, conquering pride, and now offering us as a free gift to receive salvation. Not our shame, not our sin, not our pride, not our baggage has to win, but Jesus can. But when we let pride win, we have forgotten the cross. Paul mentions here, even at the end, that Corinth was relying upon their speech, talking a big game about themselves He says in verse 20 that the kingdom of God doesn't rest in talk, but it rests in real power. And what does Paul talk about all the time in his letters about what the true power is? The cross is the power of God for salvation. The cross. Do you want power? It's in the cross. We bring nothing to the table but sin. So we have no reason to be arrogant or to boast or have an attitude of pride. Our salvation, our joy, the breath in our lungs are from Jesus. We have everything only because Jesus gave up everything. So every day we should preach the gospel to ourselves. We don't belong because of us. We belong because of Jesus. We don't have a bright future because of our intellect or our skills. No, we have a bright future because we have Christ who carries us into eternity. So maybe you need to bow your knee before Jesus. Maybe you need to get on your knee and look at the cross again to boast only in him and to stop crowning yourself as king or queen and put the cross back on him. This may seem too simple, right? We want a three-step plan or a magical prayer No, consider the cross. Look at your sin and look at your Savior. Jesus frees us from ourselves. That's a blessing. That goes against the world. The world is, you are the king, you are the point, do what makes you happy. And I look at myself, when I see Jesus, I think, I am the problem. Jesus saves me from ourselves, from our evil, from our sin, from our hopelessness, our pride, our inability to save ourselves. Jesus saves me from my overconfidence in myself. We can stop pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps because we know that eventually we're just going to fall down again. That's good news that we don't have to remain tired of relying on ourselves and failing. We don't have to worry if we measure up. We have Jesus But pride kills Christians and kills church unity. The first four chapters of 1 Corinthians Corinthians that we've now studied, the overall theme is be unified as a church. If we want to kill a church, if you want to write a best-selling book about how to kill a church, it needs one word, and the word is pride. If you want to ruin the beauty of, of human relationships, we feed pride. If we wanna take our sight off of Jesus, we look to pride. Pride is saying, Paul is saying that pride is the opposite culture that a church should have. Jesus came to lay down his life for us. That's the opposite of pride. So we're called to lay down our lives for one another. When we kill pride and we live with humility, this place will become vibrant, Joyful, loving. It will be a fun place because pride is deadly, but we know Jesus has killed it already. So friends, we are free from performance. We are free from from having to have the last word, free from comparison, free from wondering if we make the cut, free from judging others and gossiping and talking heads and negativity. Those are all the things that pride loves, but we are free from it. And it comes down to this. In verse 13, Paul calls himself the scum of the world. Can we honestly call ourselves that? If we can, then welcome to Christianity. Paul says elsewhere in his letters that all of his good things, his spiritual resume, the good stuff he's done, he considers it like dung. The, the Greek word is feces. Do we view ourselves as being that lowly? If so, then we will fall down at Jesus and say, Jesus, only in you do I have anything. By losing ourselves, we gain everything in Christ. So the cross goes the opposite way of pride. Why would we settle for pride when we can have Jesus? And as Paul says, We are Christ's, and Christ is God. We have everything we need in Christ. So if we come humbly, you will not regret it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all the many gifts you've given to us, but especially Jesus, that in Jesus, we have everything. Let this become a reality. Let this passage become a reality of this church right here, Chippewa Valley Bible Church, that this passage is lived out and believed practically. As we slay our pride and we get on our knees before the cross, bring that vibrancy and that joy and the beauty of human relationships here. We trust you to do this, Jesus. We come with weakness. Receive us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.